This is Erica Washington with Sticky Note Conversations. Look at you. You're sitting across from me. And you used to sit across from me, too. I did. You were my foray into the radio. (laughs) You had a uh, very cool show. What was the name of that show? Black Power. Black Power. Talk Action Radio. (laughs) But that was the important, you know, I I, I like that uh, Talk Action Radio because there's a lot of conversation on the radio, but I want to make sure that it was something to inspire action in in that in that uh, approach when did you start doing that wow i think 208 maybe 207 somewhere in that area Hmm. so this is our next episode of sticky note conversations with erica washington your host erica washington here and i have the pleasure of having the best sticky note conversation with one of my favorite people, Mr. Savoy. And I could say a lot of things to introduce you. I am going to let you introduce yourself and how you see yourself. But I see you as the reason that I know anything about anything when it comes to Las Vegas, Nevada. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'll, I can tell a little bit about that story. But the idea that so much has happened in Las Vegas and there's so much deep and rich history here that I knew nothing about before 2008 when I moved here, but then coming and having the opportunity to, opportunity to meet you and then work for the Las Vegas Sentinel Voice gave me the foundation, I guess, for all of the work that has come after that. So for you, you are a friend, a mentor, a icon. You're just all of the things. But, you know, you are Ramon. (laughs) 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 But for the audience, who are you? I'm just a little country boy from New York City, Harlem, USA. 147th Street between Amsterdam and Broadway, in case you want to Google. You know, I think, you know, folks from New York, they they stay from New York because you've been here how long? Since 78. Wow. 45. Well, going on 46 years now. Mm. Yes, time is flying and moving quick. What brought you to Vegas? Oh, that's right. Air Force. Military man. Yes, yes, yes. Nellis Air Force Base, 1978, March, end of March. So that's a, I'm creeping up on 46 come, uh, come next month. But what made you stay? And I ask that because coming from New York with this rich history of black folks and, and uh, black power and just so many things happened in New York, especially in Harlem, and then to move to the desert where there are far less black folks and um, a different sort of history. What made you stay here and play? As I said, I got here in March of 78. And uh, when I first got here, I was uh, a refueler for aircraft. So I drove big trucks to refuel aircraft. And I did that for about four and a half, almost five years. And then I cross-trained to become a plumber on aircraft, which meant fixing the fuel systems on aircraft. And when I had the opportunity to cross-train, I was given the option of wherever I want to go. And I had already roots here in uh, in Las Vegas because while I was here and in the military, I worked uh, predominantly graves and swings 
if I did my whole six years here at Nellis Air Force Base and put in even 14 to 16 months of service, I was always in the dark. So, and one of the reasons I chose to go that route is because I had pseudofolliculitis, which means a shaving problem. And because Nellis Air Force Base is an international base where people come from all over the world. And as we know, military means really means image. Mm. So I was not your ideal person to look at if I have a grubble face when everybody else is smooth shaven. Mm-hmm. So I had no problem doing graves and swing shifts, which allowed me to have multiple uh, part-time jobs. Uh-huh. So so I stayed busy and met a lot of people and did a lot of things. And and when the time came to decide coming out, I was already had set myself up on, on a couple of different things. In fact, I was I was at the radio station KUNV. I had a I had a show on KUNV while I was in the military. My my supervisor allowed me to leave the base because it had a good imagery of, of, of showing the the the, the military in conjunction with uh, a radio station and good, good promo, and they all approved of that. So I had an opportunity to do do a morning show for a while, and then I did an afternoon jazz show, Seat Williams and myself. We used to call ourselves Black Monday. Mm-hmm. I always thought it was weird that military people had to shave. I don't know what that is actually about. I don't think... I like beards. Well, the thing is that when you shave, everybody's clean shave, everybody would look the same. Whereas yeah. if you had somebody with beard, goatees or whatever, it wouldn't be allowed. If, I wouldn't, if I'm not mistaken, I think the Navy was the only one that could get away because, you know, they out, they're out there in the middle of nowhere. No. Be <laughs> <laughs> warm a they little bit. <laughs> I, I think it was the Navy, somebody. But anyway, I don't know what the regulations is now, but... I think they would get a lot more people to stay or so forth. And I, I believe I would have I would have remained in the military if if I had that option of saying, like, you know, can I stay at this base? You know, they like to move you around mm-hmm. and so forth. So it was one of those things where I just felt like if you did that, because in, in fact, when some people would get orders and you might not want to go to Japan or Okinawa or something like mm-hmm. that or Guam, or, you know, because of or, or even a base that might be closer to where you was at home. And they would not let you switch with somebody unless you were the same rank, had the same amount of time left in to fulfill that obligation. So they were just they just tripped on a lot of things that if they were a little more open i think they would have have a lot more people because retaining is very difficult having people come into the military younger people don't want nothing to do with the military they take advantage of of autonomy you know they'd like to be able to now i think a few people that i know that uh their children have joined they they go for the education they go for that for that benefit of that and not necessarily because they want to be patriots and Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. that's not the objective yeah it's a it's a vocation it's a way to you know move out of your circumstance and um i i was telling somebody this was a while ago that when I was in high school, you know, the recruiters spent a lot of time mm. at the schools, you know, trying to get folks to um, sign up and take the ASVAB or whatever. And I took the ASVAB 
And oh. but I took it to get out of class because I was like, <laughs> oh sure, I'll go take a test. But I was a good test taker, and I actually got a really high score. I don't remember what my score was, but I remember I got one of the highest scores in the school. And then they would not leave me alone. Oh, and so then once I realized, you saw, once you once you once they got you in the loop, you would. But I realized. Uh, I am not for the military. The military is not for me. They didn't want me. I didn't want them. Like I, and that is not my personality. There's nothing that would have worked out well for that. So, you know, I. It took a lot of convincing to get them to leave me alone. Mm. But I feel like for the most part, a lot of times, and it's just my personal opinion about about the thing is that they spend a lot of times in these low income areas trying to garner not these anymore kids. not not anymore because they're not doing you, that anymore because it's uh they want qualified people that's you know before in the military if you got in trouble or something over the judge gave you an option you the so they said like do you want to do time behind bars or mm-hmm. would you like to get some bars mm-hmm. and you know that a lot of people joined the military got involved with the military like that and I would also they 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 they, they try to have a, a more quality force uh, because of the technology of what the of the munitions of what they're using now, and they want to have people that that can be able to learn and to get get uh, acquainted with with the weaponry of today mm-hmm. and not necessarily what was before. Mm-hmm. So that thing about them coming into and around that's um, you know I guess it, in 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 Michigan it's a lot different because you know you came around. Uh, uh, Louis D. Brandeis High School in Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there was no such thing as recru- <laughs> recruiters. The only recruiters were drug dealers. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Let me ask you about this first radio show that you did. Um, what was that all about? Well, at the time, I had already uh, pretty much established after acquiring the Las Vegas Center of the Voice newspaper that moving forward and expanding on trying to capture another audience of individuals because everybody you know a lot of people do not read the newspaper and they want to be able to hear on the radio because in the radio you're driving or whatever back in the day uh there was a way that more people would listen to whatever was on the radio and so forth so it gave an opportunity for us to have guests to speak at the moment because it was a live show it wasn't recorded and that was one of the stipulations that a very that what I really uh, imposed was that it would be live and that it would be calls so that whoever was my guest and speak, other people, because I didn't feel that I, that I had all the questions to get all the answers. So that way I would open up the phone line to make sure people, other people could be uh, engaged in it. And that gave people an opportunity where in print and newspaper, people would not necessarily write. You already have a hard time for them to read, and now you ask them to write to a commentary or something of that nature, and that would be something that did not really take. It did not happen. Give us a little bit of history on the Sentinel Voice. Okay, well, I'll go. I'll go from me backwards and and put it this way: that the Browns, um, well, the Browns were their name, but uh, Lee Brown had. Uh, I acquired from Lee Brown, who was the family uh, family son of of Betty Brown, uh, and and uh, oh my goodness, I'm getting a Biden moment. <laughs> 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 but but Mr. Brown, Mr. Brown and Betty, so 
Betty Brown was um, okay. I better go the other way to the to the extent I know okay. where the um, the the voice was already pretty much here in Las Vegas from the from the fifties, mm-hmm. and uh, some of the some of the Doctor West and uh, was one of the individuals that that wanted to have something for black people to be able to to reach the black people because there was no uh, black radio stations per se or things to get out to the community. So that was the uh, the first part. And then it kind of went through a, a shuffle of many people. And Mr. Brown, when he came to town, he uh, he acquired the, the newspaper, The Voice, and then he, he, he started The Sentinel. And he bought out The Voice, which made it the Las Vegas Sentinel Voice newspaper, and he he had also a couple of French papers up in the uh, up in in Pahrump and, and and different areas, but as it came and shrunk down and his illness and so forth, and after he passed away, his wife Betty Brown continued uh, continued on with the publication, and Lee Lee Brown took over the paper, and Bernie, the other son, uh, was involved with the publication, and and I came about I came aboard in um, like. I think it was ninety and ninety one. I was uh, I was in sales, and as I was in sales with another radio station, I would always kind of put on to try to help the Las Vegas Center Voice. Because when you try to try, when my belief in advertising, not one thing works. So to have a to have the opportunity to represent what I was representing, and then bringing on and saying this could be a fringe a fringe in your benefit uh, for your budget, and you know, I developed that kind of relationship I had with uh, Mr. Brown and, and Betty and and the family. So it just it just worked its way up from there, and uh, and I had it. And uh, Lee stepped aside, and I took it over. And uh, ever since, it was it was it was what was most enjoyable and very educational to me, and my contribution to the community. And um, twenty twenty fourteen, uh, well. Uh, the the last publication and the, and the last radio program was the uh, was just like last week uh, in twenty fourteen so ten years ten years it's been, it's been ten this, years yeah twenty fourteen this twenty twenty four so mm-hmm. and then you know the thing about it Erica is I still have some people to say like can you cover my event and I'm like oh my god so someone reached out I was somewhere I can't remember where I was. <laughs> And, and they said, I recognize you from somewhere. Where do I know you from? I'm like, I don't know. And then she said something about the Sentinel Voice. Yeah. She's like, I still read that. Bang. Well, you can. You know, you can be yeah. online. True, shoot. Okay. okay. She can be archived. No, but she, she was inferring <laughs> that it was a, still a an active publication. And I was just tickled by that. And, you know, I came in to know the Sentinel around 2008 when I moved to Las Vegas and I, I don't remember where the where I first picked it up at, um, but I picked up the newspaper and I'm like, oh, cool, a black newspaper. And coming from Michigan, coming from Detroit, where there where Detroit is 80 percent black, you know, we had more than one, one black day, yes, you pu- did. publication. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so I was excited to know more. Mm. And, you know, and I've told this story, you know, I don't know how many times, but... You continuously bug me, left message. <laughs> I did continuously bug you because I think there was a phone number in the paper and I called and you didn't answer. And I had a friend named Janelle 
who has um, passed away since then, but she had a really, really good camera, like a Nikon expensive camera, and she let me borrow it. And I saw a press release or something because Jacarius Johnson, who does, um, he produces plays, was doing a play on the strip um, that I cannot remember the name of, but the play had Vivica Fox, Brian McKnight, um, the girl Charmaine from The Cosby Show, mm-hmm. and um, <laughs> Christian Keys in it. And so I reached out to the PR and I said, I would like to do an article about this play. And she's like, okay, who are you writing for? Well, well, I told him the Las Vegas Sentinel voice. (laughs) Because, you know, fake it till you make it. She said, okay. Janelle let me borrow this camera which I actually slept with that camera in my bed because I was so worried that one of my kids was going to get a hold of it and then I wouldn't be able to afford to pay her back if they broke this camera because they were little at the time and so I literally slept with that bed in the camera or that camera in the bed and so I went down and I spent the entire day down there at Planet Hollywood well did it have a long lens to it I think it had, it had multiple short, lenses, short, but okay. I didn't know how to use all of these different things. I was so, just trying to find out whether you slept with the short lens or the long lens. I, I, I slept with the whole case. <laughs> I The whole thing was in the bed. And so I, um, I went down there to Planet Hollywood and I sat down and I spoke with Brian McKnight. I uh, had a conversation with Vivica Fox. All of that took a loads of pictures, whatever, mm-hmm. what have you. And then sat down and wrote something and then and took these pictures and then I still hadn't heard from you you never answered the phone and so I just took myself on down there and I'm trying to remember if I borrowed a car or if I drove I don't remember I think one time you got at that time you were dropped off I think I might have got dropped off and I literally just came in and I knocked on the door and I'm just like Like I wrote you a story you need to publish it and you should pay me to do that and you looked at me like I was crazy and but then that was the beginning of a beautiful friendship like so many things that still today um, having the support and having enough support that could be financially supportive of your endeavors. And that's one of the things that, you know, even today, as I said, that, you know, people still say, you know, I, I have a story for you or something other than a lot of different people that were, um, um, that, that, that's found the importance of a newspaper. And they're like, you know, when are you going to get the Sentinel back again? And I'm like, uh, you got about 250000 mm-hmm. to get us off the ground. And well, they never people never realize all that it takes. And yes. then they're like, well, can't you just go online? And I said, well, you still have to pay for things to go online. You got to pay staff. You have to pay editors. You have to pay a many And different it's things. important to pay writers. And I think there are folks who don't pay writers and people are just like, oh, you can get exposure or X, Y, oh, Z. Yeah, yeah. Exposure doesn't pay envy energy, mm-hmm. nor does it put your kids through college. And I think that the craft of writing and the craft of journalism is so important. But I think... I want to ask you your thoughts around, you know, why couldn't we hold on to the paper? You know, if people actually cared about it, why couldn't we hold on to a black paper in Las Vegas? Well, you know, you can't satisfy everyone. So if you wrote certain things and we did write editorial content. I made some people mad. Exactly. Well, that's it's, it's when you make them mad, you, you have their attention. Mm-hmm. So they did read it and so forth. But you know, having support and getting continued support and then others would, you know, 
everybody had suggestions and they were like well why don't you why don't you sell the paper you know why don't you charge for the newspaper but that's that what itself was a headache and back in the day i would have had to buy those um the boxes the boxes to okay. put the papers out on the uh-huh. street and mm-hmm. and then other you know other uh publishers from california so forth and they would talk how people would you know knock out the to get the money out the boxes Mm -hmm. and then to try to put them in locations because we were a free publication so having locations to put it out free people wouldn't mind but when i suggested that you know that would give them an added responsibility to have to collect the money and then make sure that money is off to the side and whatever. So, you know, like like your daily publication is. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, they don't look at it the same way. And I had distribution points in the churches. And then some of the ministers came back at me with like, you know, the people are reading the paper while I'm trying to give them a sermon. You know, it's just a many different aspects. And, and the reason why I really put it in the church is because within the LV106, as I like to call it, Mm-hmm. the predominantly west side where a multitude of churches was people would be coming from Henderson, North Las Vegas, yeah. Summerlin, so forth. So this was the way for them to see, to get that publication because naturally some, some outlining areas would not let me have distribution points to put the publication in their supermarkets mm-hmm. or in their stores and locations and that. So I used this to just was take the paper places. I would just take hey, it and drop I, it off. I, you know, when you have a certain product and you believe in your product and you're trying to convince people the importance of your product, it just goes a long way. If they read your product or they, they, and that was the same thing with advertising with agencies where, you know, they had accounts. It, it wasn't like we had a, 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 a relationship with, Caesars or the MGM or Wynn or so forth because I tried to get the papers to go into the uh, they came into their cafeterias where their where their employees would be yeah anything where there was something where there was a location where there was a volume of people mm-hmm. and it would be a benefit for them to have it and it was like oh no you know what that? Yeah. yeah and a big thing I would have to <laughs> one of the things that really was pretty rough is I had a good relationship with uh, station casinos. Mm-hmm. I uh, over a period of time I was doing their membership publication for them. I remember. And then it happened that because of what was happening with the culinary wanting to become part to uh, to unionize station station casinos. So mm-hmm. you know it was kind of difficult when you start putting certain <laughs> certain things. And I was having one of my drop places was the culinary union, and they was like you know. Your stories are not very conducive with <laughs> with us. Well, and that's and and that's always something, right? So, and because I've and I've said this to uh, folks who work, you know, with and through the culinary and what have you, is that the Sino Voice had a good relationship with station casinos, and they were supportive. Is one of the reasons I think the paper was still, you know, moving along and going mm-hmm. is because of stations. Um, not because of the union. Mm-hmm. The unions didn't say, hey, well, we will do X, Y, and Z. And so, you know, and they didn't have to, if they didn't want to, but don't don't tell somebody else what they can't do or can't where they can't get support if you're not willing to also Step support. Up. Because, mm-hmm. you know, how is how how are the unions then supporting the black community in that way? So I don't know. I have a you know, I I have a love hate relationship with unions in general not specifically any particular one well you know las vegas was 
outside of, I would say outside of Michigan and Detroit and so mm-hmm. forth, I think Las Vegas is like number two union union town. Yeah, I, I've belonged to and unions, not a, not a, come from union out. family and what mm-hmm. have you. And I do believe that a lot of unions helped make folks middle class that otherwise would never have been middle class, including my grandfather. Mm-hmm. He would not have had what he had if it wasn't for the UAW and having that long-term job with Chrysler and all of that. But there's still there's still so much uh, racism and sexism. And then there's just, you know, there's not a lot of transferable skills when people try to go and do something else. So I'm wondering, though. Um, Take five for a second. Mm-hmm. Ed Brown. Ed Brown. Brown. Ed Brown. Ed Brown. We will insert Ed Brown. <laughs> was a fo- so he was the founder of the Sentinel. Of the Sentinel. And he bought out and he bought the voice. The voice. Bought mm-hmm. the voice out. And Who was the pers- founder of the voice? Uh, well, there was a, there was some shady stuff that was going on, but from, Ooh, from, from the history. I need the tea. But the yeah, but <laughs> <laughs> read the leaves. Read the leaves. Yeah. But uh, uh, from what I understood, that. Uh, that Ed Brown had a deal with uh, Mr. Connors from Seven Seas. Mr. Connors from Seven Seas was uh, was the person that had the voice at the time, and they negotiated some stuff. But it used to come back to me later on as like, uh, you know, y'all still owe me money, and I'm like, yeah, we is, we will continue to owe it to you too. <laughs> <laughs> Did you want to go into journalism? Oh no. But you want to do a radio, multiple radio shows and run a newspaper, but you didn't want to be a journalist? Well, I, well, my radio career started back in New York City when I went to City College, City College of New York. And we had a radio station. And I, would, I, was, I had done, I was a DJ. I worked at, at uh, record stores. Mm-hmm. And so I had, you know, inventory of music. And one of the record stores that, that I worked at, he had a nightclub too. So I used to be able to DJ at his nightclub. So it was a, in my, I was always in tie with music. I was, you know, from a young, very young age, my sister and everything was music, music, music with the 45s. Right. So, you know, that was, that was something that I, I had opportunity. So as I said, I would think that it was a connection when I went to City College and I found out they had a radio station. Now, this was the interesting part because this was back in the day when cable TV was on the scene. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll, our shows did not was not visual, but the only way you could hear it was to have cable. So you had to turn on your TV and black. <laughs> that was a kid, you know, that was very difficult. But it was my first experience with that. And, and then with, um, as I said, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Cortez Simpson, who was in the military, we was in the military together, and he knew about my my background and, and radio and so forth. So he was he was involved with uh, with uh, uh, 88.1 and KUV. It's just one thing after another allowed me to to join and get into that. And the reason, like as I said, I got involved with the paper because I was at uh, I was at KCP and I was in sales. Mm-hmm. And opportunity from sales. I had worked at a couple of Caucasian radio stations that wanted to be soul stations, so I was viable to them to get into the community. So those things kind of worked out, and it was not my objective of, of uh, 
get into something or want a thing or whatever. Just if I found something that I could be have an impression to get and to make better and to do better, that's what I did. And it was just it's been an exciting journey. Mm-hmm. I'm continuously and I have to keep correcting people when they say, How is retirement? I'm like, what does that mean? I'll say I don't know anything about you retiring from anything. You move more than I do, I think. Well, when people say that to me, I say, well, you must be my shadow because everywhere you say you see me, I see you, right? (laughs) (laughs) So I had the opportunity to do a um, social justice panel recently um, in conjunction with the Super Bowl that has taken over Las Vegas this week. Uh, And as I was sitting there in the audience talking about the work that I'm currently doing at Make It Work Nevada, I saw at least five people in the audience that I have interviewed over the past however many years um, from our current attorney general, Aaron Ford. I think back to when he never wanted to do interviews (laughs) and I had to try to convince him that, you know, uh, this was going to be great to do something for the Sentinel. I think this is when he was first running for for Senate. Exactly. And then... um, uh, Sandra Summers Armstrong, Assemblywoman uh, Sandra Summers Armstrong, was also in the audience, and I had interviewed her when they, around the F Street closing, and, and then uh, Dr. Beverly Mathis was in the audience, and I had interviewed her uh, when she retired from uh, Booker elementary school and there were some other folks but and it's funny because afterwards um dr mathis came up to me and she said i knew i knew you from somewhere i couldn't place you and until you said you know my name and i said yeah i interviewed you she's like yes that was so great and you know and then she invited me to come do something and there's something about this work like I, I mean, I love talking to people, right? And I and I love hearing their stories, and and I loved writing. But the connection that you get with people, and you've seen them grow and change over the years, and you've helped document that, I think is probably one of the biggest privileges of writing for the paper, and and still having you know a lot of hard copies. I have a trunk full of I, hard copies. I, I still have two two storage bins full of <laughs> Sentinel voices. And I know I said I think I was going to donate some to Clay T. White, so I'm saying oh, she it out did. loud. Uh, well, Clay T. White of the um, historical. Mm-hmm. Uh, from the library, they have digitized a lot of the earlier Sentinel voices. And they oh, just cool. finished completing that. Uh, that so uh, it's up online and so oh, far, people can find go. them online. Exactly. Oh, very exactly. cool. We'll exactly. have to get that information. But I know I had some. Um, I don't know if she has the ones that I have that I told her I would also make sure um, folks could have if they needed them because, you know, he had some good stuff there. And, you know, it's a great way of documentation. But I wonder now, like, how are we documenting, you know, what's happening? And as people are matriculating through politics and um, social justice world and everything else happening happening in Las Vegas. Um, how are they getting their information? How, how are they getting their information mm-hmm. in, you know, is it only through the internet, through blogs or uh, Instagram or TikTok or what have you? But, you know, I, I think we still need a tangible like paper of some sort. I don't know how we make that happen again, though. Money, 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 money. Some large investments. Large investments. I I had one time, I had this idea one time to um, approach uh, professional athletes because, you know, we get to interview them or take pictures or whatever. uh, You know, I take out, when the opportunity rises, opportunity is for me to get. And I would say, you know, 
you had a couple of technical files last year that cost you a lot of money. Why don't you give us one of your technical file funds? Mm-hmm. And they look at me like I was crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I'm like, you, you're averaging three technical files a year. Go down to two and give me one. And it's not going to me personally, but having entertainers and people in the industry to really know the value of, because uh, I, I think the younger, the newer, the newer um, athletes are a lot more uh, attuned to knowing the importance because there's a, there's a history of injustices that they can see now and they have a better understanding. But when you think about it, None of them own any kind of media outlet mm-hmm. to get their voice and to reassure people of what's going on and, and how they can best do it. And, and to control our narrative. I mean, to have a now uh, Baron, uh, Baron Allen, mm-hmm. I oh, applaud yep. him. And that's uh, you had John Johnson, um, you had uh, BET. Yep. He had, he had, and then uh, Ebony Magazine In and Jet. Mm-hmm. Yes. So there's, but now looking at those publications now. They're not owned by us. Well, it's not only owned by us. It's cosmetics. It's, it's based off entertainment. So you're giving your audience what they're, what they're by. And I think we kind of talked about that in uh, American uh, um American fiction. American fiction. That yes. whole idea mm-hmm. of of when the sister said, like, "Hey, you know, I would like to kind of, you know, write the tr- the righteous stuff, but that ain't gonna that ain't gonna sell nothing." Well, and that's the thing. And so, is it that people don't want it? So this is why the media goes this way, or is this what the media is saying? And this is why folks are going that way. It's like, do we only want the gossip and the celebrity entertainment, or? You know, or is that what we're being steered towards to think that's all that we want and that we're not digging any deeper into the politics of it all and how we are connected to what's happening in Gaza and how we are connected to what's happening in um, the UK and Brexit and all of that. Like all of the there are ripple effects to all these things that actually do affect us. But I think it's so esoteric and hard to grasp that and it's so much easier to have a conversation about, um, you know, Beyonce mm-hmm. or something. And not to say there's not anything worth talking about with Beyonce. There just may be, but there's just so much more. And, you know, we've lost our attention spans. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I read the other day, you're familiar with Club Shay Shay. Oh, yes. Uh, Shannon Sharp. He's not a journalist by any stretch of the imagination. Well, no, wait, wait, wait a minute. Let me no, mm-hmm. uh, hold that thought. Okay. Ident- identify what a journalist is. You know, when you put the titles on people and definitions, then you have to look at it in several different ways because everybody is not a writer. True. No, it doesn't have to be a writer. I think it's more about ethics more than anything because I I wouldn't say that it's about writing or and I wouldn't even say it's about a degree but I think it's about ethics and fact check fact checking but also um you know asking asking the right questions and and not being veered off into one way or the other and it's not about not an guiding opinion. guiding somebody yeah into and something. it's not about opinion it's about fact and so a lot of folks like 
say, have said, I want to write and I want to do X, Y, and Z. But a lot of people over the years that I've met just really want to write opinion pieces. And that's fine. There's a place for opinion pieces, but that's also just, that's your opinion. You just want to talk about what you want to talk about. Cool. But if you want to interview people and you want to get to the bottom of some things and then do some follow-up interviews with other people and X, Y, and Z, and then put something together that gives people a landscape of what's happening that's journalism to me so that can be radio it could be television it could be writing but and it's also being ethical and and there's you're not lying about what's being said and you're conspiracy, also conspiracy all the conspiracy theories well there could be conspiracy even if you write about conspiracy theories just be truthful about you know and, and transparent about where this information is coming from well, so well, you, well with that in mind would would you not necessarily, but a listening audience of individuals would they less, would they prefer Shay Shay, or would they prefer King King? Uh, what's that with Barkley? King Barkley with Gail King and Charles Barkley. See, you're not even familiar with no. this. So see what they're probably, No, actually, see you, you want like, See what you want to listen to I mean, I know them. who Gail King is, obviously. And, but now, is I she didn't. a journalist? Would you say she's a... And, and now Charles, just because he, he does sports, does that make him an authoritarian on that? And then they have guests, and they just have regular conversations. So I mean, probably. I don't, I've not seen it, them <coughs> doing that. Maybe you so won't, because I, maybe, I don't know how much longer it's going to be right, on. And, and I'll have to go take a look, because maybe it's of some interest. There's a lot of interesting things that don't make it through or what have you. And I think Gail King is 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 a journalist, yes, obviously. And she um, can do some, some, some good interviews, I think. But for me, when I think of a good interview, and one of the reasons I want to do this show is that I like long form conversations because these 20 second, these 20 minute conversations, I feel like don't, it's In like you ask a question and then someone sort of dig deeper, say more, mm-hmm. like expand on it and let's figure it out. That's the one thing that Shannon Sharp is doing. Like, uh, and someone made a, a comment in his comment saying that he's uh, single handedly um, expanding people's um, um um, mental capacity or something something <laughs> yeah. to that nature um, because the interviews are so long mm-hmm. like the one he just did two with, hours Cat Williams was two and, two, and, yeah, and, two and, and a half and Monique hours. was two just, hours and 55 minutes mm-hmm. and so you know people are watching stuff on TikTok that's 30 seconds and you know Keep 60 seconds Keep right it. and that's as long as people's attention spans are becoming including mine mine has gotten a lot shorter than it was which really frustrates me but I do like longer form things i prefer a um uh, a 10 part mini series over a movie well i think if you if 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 as they're taking shots you take shots while you're listening and you can i'm not taking you make, shots you could you could you could move right along with them <laughs> and you could see as you're taking shots it's like oh i'm getting a lot of loose i can see how right how yeah. this is oh, working yes. this is all sounds very good to me but no i i do um i'm i'm not doing the cognac with them but i <laughs> but i appreciate that long those longer conversations mm-hmm. and you know i wish there were deeper questions that were asked about some of these things especially on the cat williams one that one i think just kind of you know it took on its own life but either way having that opportunity for and platform for black folks to talk about things, I think is really, really important. And even though this is more celebrity uh, angle than anything, I'm hoping maybe he has some other folks on that. We well, can have I'm some deeper conversations well, it's, about it's, other things. Well, he had some other, it wasn't like Cat Williams was his first interview. No, 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 so no. The He's thing had other would be, people. The thing would be now, 
who these were two individuals that had issues somewhat with the industry. Mm-hmm. So now where do you go from the, you know, right. how do how you, you raise the, the bar? Well, one, he needs Tyler Perry on to explain himself. I think that, you know, would because you get into the depths of um, how that industry works, because I think there's a lot of mystery around that. And people think it's something that it's not. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a there's a filter over celebrity over the pictures the videos the what have you and we see people how they want to be seen or how their agents want them to be seen versus that they're you know like regular everyday people and you brought up the movie American Fiction because I did want to pick your brain a little bit about these movies um, American Fiction and Origin two of because, them excellent yes and and Song of Freedom uh, free, um Cry Freedom. What's that uh, with the the pedophiles and uh, something of freedom? Ah, I just I just showed I just showed I just put it uh, showed my sister it last night on on Apple or Prime. Yeah, it was on Prime. I'm gonna look Song of Song of Freedom. Song of Freedom. And that's about the the pedophiles, and it's it's based off a true story of an agent um, rescuing children Mm -hmm. in foreign countries because of. Uh, old old Caucasian men that that love the little 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 lilies. Mm-hmm. You're not familiar with that no. one. No. Oh, you should my. have text me so I watched it last night. Okay, so okay, I all right. But that, that you know, with these are these are the kind of uh, movies that I like. You can't really mm-hmm. say they're true, but they have true like Griselda. Mm-hmm. I finally oh, I, mean, I look finished at the, Griselda. I too. finished. I just mm-hmm. finished Griselda uh, yesterday. So it's it's these type of movies that even though they're not. Fact, factual, totally, and so forth and so on. Mm-hmm. But at the Historical same time, it gives fiction. you it, it gives you a, a, a it gives you a taste of an interest. If you're interested in it, you'll find out more. But that Ameri- that uh, American American fiction, fiction. So I saw that. I go to the movies by myself. I just enjoy going to the movies by myself. And I had been wanting to see it since I had originally saw the preview sometime last year. And it felt like a really slow roll for it to even come out. (laughs) And it's just like, does anybody want this movie to come out? I was really questioning why it was taking so long for it to come out. Mm. And then it finally did. And I was able to see it. And I'm like, this is brilliant. I like all of the actors in there. Sterling Mm -hmm. K K. Brown is amazing. Um, Jeffrey Wright. But now I'm going to stop you for one second. Uh Uh-oh. They had on their poster what mm-hmm. they what they're showing about American fiction, and it has um, what's her name, Diana Ross's daughter, um, Tracy Ellis. Tracy Ross. Ellis, right? Instead of having uh, Leslie Uggams, mm-hmm. who was a major part yeah. of this movie, they don't have her. They show all the. I young didn't even people. know she was in the movie exactly, until I watched exactly. it. Exactly. Yes. And on the poster, it has Miss mm-hmm. Ross, and it's like yeah. no, it's not a super not, but. Leslie Uggles was your main one of your right. main characters, which I thought would have been nice if they would have just at least nominated her for mm-hmm. supporting actress. Yeah, no, she did a wonderful job. She did a wonderful job. I think everybody did a good job. I think Issa Rae did a good job. <laughs> Erica Alexander did a good job. Mm. I even think the lady whose name I can't remember who was their housekeeper, you know, mm-hmm. was a great character. And there's something about being able to watch this movie and none of the black people were minor they all had story and so i think that was one of the really strong suits of the movie is that there weren't minor characters even the housekeeper had a backstory and we knew about her backstory and her love Mm -hmm. interest Mm -hmm. and all of that 
And the only people we didn't really know anything about, honestly, were, I think, the, the white people in the movie. There was no backstory. Well, that's that's what gave it a spice, mm-hmm. you know, because it, it was kind of stereotyped. Yeah, there, yes, were, it was the opposite of the magical <laughs> Negro sort of thing. And then, but then, what did you think of the ending? Very, it made you think. It, mm-hmm. Because I, I was discussing it with my sister who's visiting in town. And... Um, the way that it, because we don't want to give anything away in case Mm-mm. people have not seen well, it. Well, they yet. should see it before the Oscars, though, because it was nominated. Yes, for very much. A best couple. picture. Best yeah, picture. Best, best picture. picture. Amazing. Right. So it made you know it made you think because the sub the way it started ending at the end, uh, and I would go back to saying when we talk about people that read and so forth and so on. Oprah tried when she was doing a show when she would do the book review mm-hmm. so people would read these books but you know a lot of the books it's not books that I would read because they were they were they were fiction and mm-hmm. you know that's I, I like to read real and you're and, not and a, the, you're not a big novel not at all okay. not at all I, I have to get something out of it that will benefit me moving forward and I'm not in a circle where the discussion would come. We would, where I would be talking about mm-hmm. that particular book, but if they, if it's a book that I could talk about that would bring much more uh, impact with a, a conversation when 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 you go to a meeting or something another and you can relate to something that was done because mm-hmm. it's as a youngster, reading was not my forte. I the loved Hardy, to read. The I, Hardy Boys. My mother, I kept oh, convincing. Oh, Nancy grew, drew in the Hardy Boys. I, 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 I convinced books. my mother to continuously buy me those books, and I would read the first ten, <laughs> the first ten pages, and that would be it to the next book. And that's the thing. I, when I was a kid, I would devour books, mm. and this is when I think about my attention span being so much shorter, and maybe it's you know a lack of time and all of these different things. But I would literally, I read Gone with the Wind when I was. <laughs> No, you didn't. Yes, I did. That I read whole it. Yes. Volume. I read Gone with the Wind <laughs> and the sequel, Scarlet, in probably junior high school. Wow. And I would just devour books and just all day long, reading, reading, reading. I loved it so much. And, you know, I still love reading. I just don't have as much time. And in, as I'm sitting there reading, I'll probably fall asleep. Or my mind starts thinking about all these other things I have to do. Well, you can get audible. I have Audible and I actually use Audible, but I can only listen to books that are either are like autobiographies and memoirs. Mm -hmm. So I have like right now I'm listening to Barbara Streisand's book. Okay, But that book is almost 49 hours long. Forty nine hours. Well, think about how long if you had to read it. How long it would take? I know we. I'd be reading it by the time I'm finishing it. By the time I'm Barbara's age, I think. Like I just, but it's good. It's good, and I like Barbara Streisand. I'm a big fan mm-hmm. of her and her music and her acting. Well, I know that there are certain books that I wouldn't have purchased to read, but I do listen to them Audible. And uh, what's the the sister that worked at BET? And she she discusses her uh, that became the CEO of BET. I don't know. Ah, wow! Oh, look at I know. Wow, Johnson. I, I mean, she worked. Um, she, I I sort of kind of know, know who I'm talking about. And then uh, how to get away with murder? What's the what's the actress that did, did that? Um, you're talking about Viola Davis. Viola Davis. Oh, book. I did. I did listen to her book. That's, that was amazing. Wasn't too. it gave you know it gave such a backstory about her. That was a uh, uh, that was completely amazing. But those are not books that I would have bought. But those were were books that uh, I had heard about on TV when they did an interview for him. I says, you know, trying to support 
Deborah Lee. Deborah Lee. Yes. Okay. No, I have not read Deborah That's Lee's a, book from BET. She was the and BET I like president. I I very I I much enjoyed the person, but everybody cannot read their book and have it be interesting. No. But they they do their own uh, they do they do their own vocal on their own book, so it sounds very good. And I must say, Will Smith's book is very good. I, I haven't read Will Smith's book. No, no, I think Audible I, on to hear Will. Listen, you know yeah. the way Will does his thing. Jennifer Lewis. Both her books. She's the mother of Black Hollywood from Blackish. She's the mom on Blackish. Okay. Um, you know, and then she plays uh, uh, Anime Bullock's mom in what's in What's Love Got to Do with It. Her books. She reads them with such exuberance. Like she's one to listen to. Um, I listened to Fifty Cent's book, um, Jeezy's book, mm. and then there was. Um, Oh, Michelle Obama, of course. Yes, yes. Um, but I did also Finding Me by by uh, Viola Davis. Oh, I do have Will Smith downloaded, so I'll add that to my list to, to do sooner rather than yes, later. Yes, do listen to that. Um, Gabrielle Union's book was really good, both of them, to, to, um, to listen to. And Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah's book because he does all of his different uh, <laughs> accents exactly, and exactly. Uh, he speaks so many different African dialects mm-hmm. that it's it's an amazing book to listen to as well. So those I can listen to and I'll listen to those while I'm getting dressed in the morning and what have you. But there's still oh, just you can't not put time the cassette, to read. So you can't put the cassette in the car anymore. It well, I do not have a happen. cassette player. Well, no. that's, you know, unless you have Bluetooth within the car mm-hmm. system to be able to listen at it yeah. come off of your phone. Now, somebody that I have that that I buy the book. I mean, that I buy the uh, the Audible, but mm-hmm. I wind up having to buy the book because the words that he says that I don't understand mm-hmm. and I can't say the words to be able to Google them to know what it means. What Dyson? Uh, Michael Michael Dyson? <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he comes out with some heavy vocabulary <laughs> yes. and it's yes. like, what did this mean? And I have to go buy the book so I can look it up to see how it spells. Matthew mm-hmm. Desmond, who wrote the book Evicted, which is a really good book about the housing crisis. Mm. That's also a good audible as well. And then speaking of books, Origin, you saw Origin too, right? Oh, the the yes, movie. Yes, yes. Um, the Warmth of Other Suns, I listened to uh, Isabel Wilkerson. That was her first book. And then the second book was Origin. And so this movie that Ava DuVernay has now done, um, and then I've watched, Ava, I'm, I'm a big fan of Ava. Oh, she's, like, well, how could you not? I mean, the work that she that she's done, and she and and just her own personal story of being in PR and then deciding she wants to direct movies, and mm-hmm. she didn't go to school to direct movies, and she's like, this is just what I want to do. Like, those are the kind of people that excite me and on my wish list of people to want to interview and just you know be friends with, really. But <laughs> pick I've, their brain, not really yes. pick their brain, but just have a regular conversation. just have conversation. Well, like, you know, kind of you know on on a sidebar, real quick. That was one of the things that that given the opportunity, having the newspaper and having a radio show, that I would talk, not to the interview, I would just have conversation with them. Yeah. And I think they appreciated when I, we would just kind of like talk. And then I guess another thing happened because I would kind of be older than them. Mm-hmm. So they saw this fatherly, <laughs> this fatherly figure where it's like they would hear, like to hear my oh, wisdom. Wise and one. <laughs> Tell us what you know. Please yes, yes, shine yes. your wisdom on me. Yes. But that's what I wanted this to be. And I think I've accomplished it with so far with most of the episodes. Some of them feel more like interviews because it's also, I think, 
you know, it's uncomfortable when you put a microphone in front of certain folks and then they're just waiting and like, so what are you asking me? And so mm-hmm. they answer that question. I'm like, let's just talk. Mm-hmm. Like, what you doing? What's going on? How do you feel about, you know, this, that and the third? But but yeah, I think being able to have really deep conversations with people is how we get to know folks, mm-hmm. but also how we bridge our differences, but also understand um, you know, what makes us us. And I think when you watch Origin, they really dive into what makes us us. And I think about all of the pain that Isabel Wilkerson as a person went through around the time where she's trying to unearth and understand what is racism. Right, right. And, and it's not it so color. Easy. And it's not about color. That's how come no. cast. That's yeah. how come it became something of a cast. She did excellent work, mm-hmm. and uh, that's I highly recommend. I don't know how much longer it's going to be in the theater. Right. Nothing but, stays uh, in the theater long now. Right. True enough. True enough. Unless unless it has. But it to wasn't do with nominated tennis. for anything, was no. it? I don't know uh, whether you know because certain dates you have to be in the already been in it still should have. I think it should have made. it. I don't know. But the other interesting part about that is the financing of that movie that I don't know if you know any of the backstory, but Ava wanted to do this movie and people didn't understand her vision and what she was trying to do. So regular studios were like, how do you make this not a it's not a novel it's you know this is basically you know almost like a dissertation on race and chaos no, that's a, right it's a, a select a select audience that would watch it right and so she's like are you if you're are you making a documentary and she's like no i don't want to make a documentary and so she decided to write this screenplay around the author and mm-hmm. the author making this journey to write this book that is so powerful that she ended up going to foundations like the same foundations that fund you know some of the work that we do like the Ford Foundation, um, which doesn't directly fund us, but has indirectly funded the work that Make It Work Nevada has done. Um, but she found those people to um, at least start to understand her they dream. They have to buy into it. You yeah. Have to, you have to talk to people to or buy into it. at least, at least give her enough in. space to be to be able to dream. And that's what we all want. That's what I want is for people to give me enough space to dream and just say, I don't know that I completely understand what you're trying to do, but here's some money. Go do it and let me see. Well, you know, uh, I would say with the the major uh, distributors of, of, of movies and big uh, corporations, for history's sake, that's how come black black movies weren't produced or couldn't be seen and couldn't be uh, 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 people could not be aware of the talent that we have. If all of those ideas that are structured, I don't know how many um, uh, film uh, film uh, festivals you've been to to watch some of these pieces, and there's some there's some excellent minds out there. So let me ask you this before we go, it because what you said makes me think about. I saw a video on Instagram. Joy Reed had posted a video showing. Um, the rapper Sexy Red mm. um, talking about how much she liked Trump and how Trump was the reason why we had gotten stimulus tre- checks and what have you and people in the hood, you know, love that free money, X, Y, and Z. <laughs> and I've heard that sentiment in other spaces um, and it's not true information, right? It's not actually how people got their stimulus checks. So it's not about, um, you know, 
for Trump against Trump. It's about this is this misinformation. But we have people who have actual influence over people that someone who listens to what a sexy red might say is not necessarily going to go over and they're not watching uh, Joy Ann's yes, show, right, exactly. show or, you know, watching Gail King or something like that. They may not be. So they may not get accurate information, nor are they probably going on Make It Work Nevada's website and getting information about upcoming elections and and what's going on with policy and that. How do we combat that information that people are really so interested in in following along to what someone says who has no authority over X, Y, and Z, but, you know, they like their rap music and their image and what have you. Or not necessarily rap, but you know what I mean. Just they they hear something from somebody that they are interested in and then that's all that's they hear. All this, that's that's and the concept right of there. it. That it just does. And it's not, it's not enough, com- there's not enough conversation within a family. You know, we're, 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 I've never hear when my sons get together, they're talking policies or talking anything, you know, it's, you know, you're talking sports, entertainment. Those are the type of things that, they, that it seems of younger uh, younger generation of individuals, entertainment is still is still the drug. That's mm-hmm. all I'm going to say is, and it's a and and it still is a very powerful drug. To which it's like when you don't have to focus on what is really happening, and just focus on the me and not the we. It makes us complacent, and we have become, sadly, you know. That's how I can always say I'm, you know. I'm 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 joyful to be the age that I am to, to see the things that I saw and knowing that I'm not in agreement with how things are going today, but that's left up to the next generation. Just mm. keep the check coming. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, <laughs> it's so great to talk to you. I appreciate you. We got to do a part two. We can do a part two, a part two, you know, part down, three, part down, four. That's right. I think there's plenty of more conversation of of things to to discuss, and I would like to dive deeper into how we have uh, robust conversations around policy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are upcoming ballot initiatives um, that are going to be on on the ballot in November in Nevada specifically, but also there's just national stuff happening that matters. Like we're not a silo. And I think if we can continue having these conversations and having them with not only people, our peers, our age, but people who are older than us, but also the folks that are younger than us is one of the reasons I started this whole series with Skylar, my daughter Mm -hmm. is because I want to know like, what are, what are are 20 year olds thinking about, Mm -hmm. you know? And I think it's important that we keep that in mind and we don't dismiss it. So again, I appreciate you. I love you too. I love you. And I can't wait to do it again. I I look forward to it. Have a great one. And everybody out there in radio land. Thanks for listening in. (laughs) That's Sticky Note Conversations. Thanks for listening to Sticky Note Conversations with Erica Washington. Hosted and executively produced by Erica Washington. With music, mixing, and editing by Black Gypsy LLC. Special thanks to KUNV 91.5 in Las Vegas. This show is powered by Make It Work Nevada, a project of Tides Advocacy.